0: This is Anthony Alex from the Angry Mailman podcast, and you're listening to
1: another fine show from the From Page to Screen Media Empire. Hey guys, this is Ace Morero
2: from the movie Madison County. Hi, this is David L.G. Hughes, writer-director of the film Hall Bull Suites. I love the pace and the fastness, and I love the fact that you just roll with it.
1: Hi, I'm Eric England, the director of Contracted. Hi, I'm Victor Amelou, the writer-director of The Vision. My name is Nathan Whitehead, and I wrote the music for Beyond Skyline.
0: Hello, Stuart. Just a quick hello from Sarah Douglas. Hi,
2: this is Ben Lloyd Holmes from the film *The Expedition*. This is Dominic Burns, the director of *Allies*. Hey, Stuart.
0: Page the screen. that so com. Up in my phone, you get it get my motorcycle running tracking over my fucking
2: stupid chain gear arm teen pizza and piston I'm Neil Johnson I directed Road Warrior and The Time War and I crucified Adolf Hitler
1: the from, from, from Ace to green green Hiya. Good morning. How are you?
0: Good. How are you?
1: I'm not too bad. Half eleven on a Saturday and here we are straight into the film world.
2: (laughs) We've been working for six
1: hours. It does not. Is that a genuine thing or you you probably have actually, haven't you, been working for six hours?
0: We've been on a recce, um, but yeah, I mean, we just kind of, you know, you wake up, you check your emails and suddenly you're working.
1: Wow. That's the way (laughs) it goes, isn't it? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I I would say I've been working for two hours, but I've been downstairs in the living room watching Get Lucky again. So, (laughs) there we go. It's been a few years since I watched it, so I thought I'm going to check it out. Very kind. I think only you and I have seen it twice. Um, Well, no, I'm pretty sure there's at least another few people have seen that as well. So, I was (laughs) going to watch Outside Bet again, but I watched that last weekend for the first time. So, I thought, you. you know, let's watch something I've not seen for a little while. So, how are you both, other than super busy and probably not about to have a relaxing weekend?
0: <laughs> we're all right, yeah. I mean, we're, yeah, we're planning a couple of shorts at the moment, which is something that we haven't done before, but we thought, hey-ho, why not? Um, and then, obviously, just keeping up with developing the rest of our projects at the moment, um, getting ready for Cannes. And then uh, getting, obviously, ready for the DVD release of Tango 1. So, yeah, all very exciting and full-on, but that's the way we like it. <laughs>
1: nice. I'm going to ask you first, Patricia, do you prefer Patricia or Trish? Because I've seen you mentioned us both.
0: Trish, please. Trish.
1: Let's go with Trish. And how do you pronounce your surname? Because I don't want to kill it. <laughs> this is always the second it question in every yeah. podcast. Why is it not um, the first one? That should be the first question, really, shouldn't it? It's
0: uh, the Biotic. Um, but people say it all sorts of weird, wacky ways. So, you know, take your pick, go with it, and that's fine.
1: <laughs> I'll just call you Trish, I think. <laughs> and, Sasha, you've got an easy surname. So, that you know, Sasha Bennett. Easy one to do. Common as much. I remember a few years ago, I got mildly into trouble with Nick Nevin for mispronouncing, mispronouncing even his surname, because I used to always see it written down, so I'd pronounce it Nevern.
2: Oh, right. Yeah.
1: And, um, and I did this wonderful podcast devoted to um, I think it was to, like to either Leo Gregory or, or Danny Dyer or something and I'd got a quote from Nick and I'd read his name out at 2 o'clock in the morning my phone lit up and it was Nick going that's not how you pronounce my name so I'm like oh god <laughs> <laughs> it was very nice about it but I'm like oh no I've been told off by a film star
2: I, I, I think Nick probably went through a period where he would be delighted if anyone said his name so he yes. should have thanked me
1: exactly, he did eventually You know, so I've met him a couple of times over the years, and he's been super cool, so. No,
2: he's he's a a good
1: guy. Yeah, yeah. he is. So, uh, where the heck do we start? So, Tango 1 is out on digital now. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, came out in the 5th, so it's good. I was watching the trailer this morning, and what I love about it, because I've not seen the film yet, because I'm one of these people that prefers the DVD copy. Mm. I I have a big shelf, which now and again, I'll periodically tweet out a picture of the DVD collection, so I'd love to have a... A huge shelf of all the UK films, so I'll be picking it up on the nineteenth awesome. when Thank it comes you. out. Thank so that will be good. Well, we watched the trailer this morning. Uh, I'd seen the trailer before, but my other half, Annette, she hadn't seen the trailer, and she she's one of probably quite a few people who get a little bit nervous when a British film comes out because British films used to be. Oh, is it a British one? Oh no. I don't know why. I've never understood why, but you've probably encountered those people before where they go, Oh, it's a oh that looks good. Oh, is it a British one? And yeah. it's thankfully I think it's gone out of that time period now, but there was a time period when you know, before before Lockstock and, and all the you know the, the the big films came out and stuff. So she put the trailer on and she's like This looks fantastic, that's gorgeously shot. <laughs> So that, so that made me happy. <laughs> so it was good. <laughs> yeah. But well, well it, I, I must say that it, it, it it's something I've always
2: striven when I'm making the films to, to to avoid just falling into it being just another British movie. Yeah. Because I think in the wake of Lockstock there was some shockingly bad films made that were just kind of cashing in. Yeah.
0: Uh, I probably um, worked on a the theatre Possibly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, so I, you know, I do understand that kind of negative feeling uh, and growing sense of dread i do get that but no certainly with tango we made a very conscious decision to to not make it just the british gangster thing it 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 is so much more you know there is this international side of it and there is a sort of a spy mi5 element as well which kind of raises it above the norm
1: because there was a shot in the trailer and I forget, it a, the blonde-haired woman, and she was on, on screen, and Annette, my, she looked and went, oh, is this another sort of weak female character? And then maybe five seconds later, she enters a room with a, what looks like an M16, and Annette's face lit up. She's like, oh, no, she's not. <laughs> so it's great. I was, I was extreme. She's kind of like my benchmark. No, um, so, yeah, she's looking forward to watching that one, as am I.
2: No, Sophie isn't just the, the, so, yeah. the girlfriend, I wanted to avoid that as well. I mean, yeah. to be fair, in the book, she isn't that either. But um, no, the M16 was was very much on my checklist. I was trying to put a, a gun from my childhood, which sounds terrible. <laughs> it does I, a
1: little bit, Like, let's delve <laughs> into that part.
2: <laughs> no, but a, a gun that I fondly remember from TV and film from my childhood, I was trying and get one in into the movie somewhere, so like on... On Kill the Old Way, we had a Bren, um, a Sten gun. Yep. Jimmy Cosmo was firing in the hospital. And then the Bren gun, uh, Chris fired in steel. And then so I was like, let's get an M16 for Sophie.
0: Yeah, we have to limit these days on set, though, because everyone gets so giddy. You know, it's like <laughs> children in a candy shop. It's it, like, the guns arrive. <laughs> it's,
2: it's a very strange sort of reaction. And, and you do kind of look at America and, and, and have, a, have an understanding of where why they are giddy about guns because just your, your normal average sane person yeah. as soon as they see a rifle like that and they pick it up you, you and indeed I you know you, you change you, you, you just suddenly go oh right now I feel powerful and it's it's a horrible weird psychological thing but it is incredible when the armorer turns up and everyone just flocks around, like, yeah. you know, some guy giving out free candy or
1: something. <laughs> He's like, yeah, never mind sweets, you get M16s and Stengals today. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. That went a bit uh, um, dark. Yeah, it did, that. yeah. <laughs> well, that's
0: all right. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> There's no rules. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, yeah, the guys that help us on that cohort are absolutely fabulous, um, the armorers. And uh, uh, they always enjoy talking to me because I have a slight semblance of knowledge which is all based on playing call of duty. Yes. But um, yeah they are like oh great let's talk to Sasha he's going to ask for something wacky and crazy.
0: But also they are used to like such big films aren't they they're all across the world doing like the massive massive films and then they come to us and you know we're we're smaller and they, they love that because the atmosphere on set's so much different and they actually get involved and yeah it's fun it's good blah. I
1: mean you sort of say the films are smaller they they are smaller but they don't look smaller. And you no. mentioned before, Sasha, where you don't want to do a what you know a typical, which is the the, the phrase a typical British film from the mm. past. The films that I've seen of yours, which I was actually looking across my DVD collection, and all of the films that you've directed that have been released, other than the short film and it Tuesday, I think it was the very early one. On, um, I have got all of those on DVD, so I'm doing quite well, and. Well, uh, Tuesday is still available, so I don't know why I haven't it. I will need to pick that one up. And Trish, I've got twelve films that you've worked on in my DVD collection. Aww. I counted them up as more. I'm not going to rattle a list off because I didn't write it down, but I just I went through your filmography and of the films you've produced, I've got twelve. So
2: oh, thank you amazing. very much. You
1: know, there we go. But I will pick up Tuesday and uh, complete my Sasha Bennett collection. I would go down all the films you've been uh, sort of production assistant on and Sasha that you've acted in, but that cost me a fortune because you've got one hell of a filmography there. That's impressive.
2: I've been on this planet for quite some time. Same,
1: Same time as me. Your birthday is actually one week exactly before mine. Oh, no All right. Well, maybe so, I'll
2: buy Tuesday for your birthday
1: then. Right. <laughs> well, what do you want? Do you want like lots and lots of uh, publicity from for for, uh, for Tango oh. One? From me? you'll get that anyway from me. So. that
2: sounds like a fair
1: trade. <laughs> so you'd mentioned. I mean, it's based on a book, it's Tango One, um, and you'd I'd seen written that Universal contacted you about doing it because you worked with them before on a couple of films. Is yeah. how did, how did that go about? And is that true? Did I read it correctly? It, no, it is true. Um, no, so basically, uh,
2: the other producer, along with Trish, a chap called William, he um, had set the deal up uh, with Universal. He he managed to option the book from um, Stephen Leather, and then Universal kind of went right. So um, you need an experienced producer, line producer, and you need an experienced writer-director to handle this. And so my name, very kindly, was on on an, on a short list of of the writer-director. And Trish was recommended to him, um, actually weirdly by our casting director and someone else. So it, it was, it was quite nice that we both sort of got the call as it were, because we were obviously already working together as a, as a team and, and had three wise monkeys up and running. Um, so that's sort of how it happened. Uh, yeah. Like I say, I, cause I've done two films for universal before I was on their list of go-to guys, um, having <laughs> touchwood, not let them down. Um, and and that, that that's sort of it. Yeah, we met William and, and struck a deal and and away we went. Really, it was quite pretty quick turnaround. Really,
0: yeah. And it was for us. It was the first feature film we did. We were doing as Three Wise Monkeys, so you know, pretty pretty happy to be doing it with Universal UK as well.
1: So how does that sort of work? You will you'll get a phone call or a an email or something saying we're interested in having a meeting about this project. You go in, you sit down, and then you decide whether it's a fit for you both. Is that generally how it? Sasha was
0: first yeah so um and I got I was working on an, a really uh, crazy MTV shoot around Europe um and I happened to be in Monaco at the time actually and I got a Skype sort of saying you know can we talk about this project that we're doing Sasha's already attached Kate Plantin has also recommended you who's the casting director who we've worked with quite a few times already um who's fantastic and and that was that really sort of came back to London after that shoot and, and away we went um, and then we got uh, Izzy involved so Ismael Issa our, our third monkey um, and who's our GOP. Um and, and that was the team complete which was fantastic for us.
2: But uh, yeah, there was a slight delay on Trisha's involvement just because basically William had done a first pass at, at the script at the adaptation and um, I mean by his own admission it, it, it wasn't anywhere near ready and, and certainly not in a shootable state so I sort of took over the reins of that as as I have done in the past and, and just sort of shaking it down a bit and, and spiced it up. Because one thing, obviously, having worked in production myself as well as um, being fortunate enough to direct is that I kind of know uh, what things will be expensive to do and won't look that good on screen. And vice versa, things that will be relatively cheap to shoot, which will look amazing. So. As an example, with Tango, there was lots of scenes where um, Donovan would meet people in, in busy cafes. Now, that's very easy to write into a script, but a busy cafe means uh, at least 25, 30 essays or extras, as they used to call. called, uh, uh, plus shutting down a coffee shop for the day. You've got to pay them the business they would have lost. It, it all starts becoming exponentially ridiculous. and. And, of course, what you're doing is you're just putting it in a coffee shop. So the audience are going, it's a coffee shop. What's the big deal?
1: Yeah.
2: So that was an expensive way to go. And I said to William, look, look I'm, what I'm going to do, all these little clandestine meetings, because it was only two people talking, which should be the cheapest thing in the world to shoot, As I'm going to put them on rooftops. Uh, and, you know, Trish and I will go out and find some rooftops with great views of London. And so I probably saved – close to 10, 10 grand a day, you know, yeah. in terms of shooting. And yet suddenly we now have two, two brilliant performances that are looking over the shard or tower bridge or, or the tower of London or, uh, uh you know, sort of way out East, um, towards Canary Wharf. Towards Canary well, Wharf yeah. yeah. So it, it's things like that, that I kind of do in the screenplay stage of my, um, uh, production phase, uh, that, that kind of just, I know what will look big and expensive but won't cost it. So about four weeks later, the script was ready, and that's when Trish joined the party and and we started scheduling and budgeting.
1: That's so it's very easy, isn't it, to write, and a fleet of helicopters flew overhead. <laughs> it's like, it's a whole different thing going, yeah, we need to well, find I mean, a fleet of helicopters and get them to fly overhead. Exactly. I mean... <laughs>
0: that will rain. Rain's always it. Yeah, and he well. was walking down the street, and it's raining. I was like, oh, my God, you've yeah. just cost so much money. There's um, no need for it. <laughs> I mean, look,
2: the one I always quote, which, which people put into screenplays, is our hero drives around London on his phone. And... That sounds simple enough, but you, you're then into, you know, either a low loader, which has cost a fortune, and driving around London, as you know, it, it, you, you barely move, so that's not going to look that exciting, plus then you're going to have people looking in through the car window going, oh, it's the bloke from that thing. It's, it, it's a nightmare. So, uh, yes, yeah, screenwriters out there, um, read, read your screenplays back and have a look at <laughs> things that you thought might be easy uh, and, and change it.
1: Well, do you find that part of it fun? Because I'm, I'm sort of, I would say in the middle, but I'm not quite in the middle. I'm, I'm writing a feature script for me to shoot at some point because I like playing in this film film world. It's good. Um, Where it's a woman stuck in a hotel room. That's it. And and I'm writing it the way that you've just mentioned it. Where it's like, I could get a hotel room. I could put one person in it. I could put one camera in it. Right now, what can I make happen in this hotel room? And I love sort of thinking about the money aspect of it. So that part I'm finding fun.
0: Yeah, reverse engineering, I think, is always the way to go. And I think that's because Sasha and I have worked together quite a few times. Um, you know, it just works that way because I know that he's thinking about that at that stage. So I don't have to come in with my big boots and sort of go, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> it's it's more sort of collaborative process. and. I mean, I totally think that film should be that way anyway, Um, and it's very difficult to work with a director who just won't listen or won't take any budget considerations into mind, and especially at sort of, you know, the, the lower end of the scale, but I'd like to think that if we were offered a 30, 50 million pound movie, we'd actually do the same and make it look double or triple that amount, because we know how to work those budgets.
1: You wouldn't have like the the hero and the villain chasing each other through London while it's raining on the phones. <laughs> it, it would be crazy, up, wouldn't it? Exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you so, can do that stuff, but you just got to think about it in a cost-effective way. And everything is possible, but you know, it's it's just sometimes it takes a little bit longer to figure out, you know, how we're going to do it that it's going to look the best. Because at the end of the day, that's what the viewer is judging what it looks like on screen.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I would. I don't think i've ever watched a film going do you know what i like that but it would have been better if it was raining
0: yeah (laughs) it just
1: it just bothered me that the sun was out (laughs) it it upset me one star (laughs) yeah so you mentioned that you'd done two more drafts of the of the story of tangle one what's the time period on that how long did it take to do pretty quick
2: i mean yeah no pretty quick i mean the second draft was very much tweaks i i'd given it a major overhaul in probably three weeks uh and, and sort of really spiced up the dialogue and, and kind of made more sense of the plot. Cause it was a bit meandering. Um, but, but yeah, so the tweaks probably were spaced out over maybe two weeks, but probably amounted to about three days of work really. And, and the tweak stage is, is actually when you sort of jump in with some of your team, including Trish and just go, can we do this? Do we know anyone? Uh, and, and just working it out that way. So, you know, from, from me saying, yes, to sort of delivering the shooting script was probably
1: six weeks in total and so when you're looking over at Trish is it I mean you've done enough film work now to for it to become an instinct I would have thought is it instinctively where you would look at a scene and you would go no that that's not going to work that's you know can you see the the pound signs in your head through a yeah, given section
0: a little bit I guess in the way that a musician sort of you know plays a piano and they can hear the sound I probably look at words and can see pound signs (laughs) um yeah it, it is quite instinctive and and i think it's always about saying right well we can do that um but maybe we'll have to simplify the fight later down the line and instead of 20 people we'll have 15 and and sort of you know you're there to try and create the possibility for the director and the team to to create the vision that they have in their mind so it's it's never about just saying no. It's about offering solutions, um, and I think that's really important. And and that's where we work so well together.
2: I mean, there is a there is a bit of gamesmanship normally, certainly not with Trish and I because obviously we have a company together. But uh, there is a bit of gamesmanship normally between producer and director, at, sort of at this stage, where the the director definitely wants certain things, but will over ask. He'll you know he'll ask for extra items knowing that the producer's going to scythe away some of them so at least hopefully he can still retain the ones that he really really wants um and in fact talking about get lucky earlier that that was an experience i had on that where the original script was a bit a bit light on action and considering it was about a getaway driver there wasn't even a scene where we see him driving the car so i was i was like well we'll definitely need that because everyone keeps saying what a great driver it is um so I, I kind of was like, right, well, I definitely want at least three and I can survive with two big set pieces and, and not just like a couple of people slapping each other, but proper set pieces. Yeah. So I, I went in and I pitched six. I was like, right, there's got to be a boat chase. There's got to be a car chase. There's got to be like a Bourne style knife fight. There's got to be a shootout at a container yard. There's got to be this. There's got to be that. Knowing that I'd, I'd be laughed at and they said pick two. But actually, Dave and Adam who, who worked on that film uh, as producers who did the kick-ass movies they just went
1: yeah okay that all sounds great <laughs> you're like uh, okay i was expected to lose some of them but thank you <laughs> suddenly I
2: had, to, I had to sort of write up and work with the uh, jimmy Od, the stunt coordinator sort of design six big steps. people i was like oh my god <laughs> obviously i was a kid in a kid in a toy shop but it, it, it was yeah it, it was a sort of funny that i got away with that one were i mean
1: were you lot. not like damn it i should have asked for nine (laughs) 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 but it said so how early did vincent Regan come on board
2: um let me think so we sent the script sent out we started crewing up i'd say probably a month
0: yeah after
2: after the production was up and running shall we say um and yeah we would just met at BAFTA, had a cup of tea and he said, well, let's do this. I, you know, I want to work with you again and, and and as Vincent does, he starts sort of talking about the character and and, and about things that he liked and disliked and, and what could we do to improve that. So I like, unbonded uh, when we met uh, and I was obviously very scared of meeting him at that stage because it was my second movie and here he was, this guy from 300 and the um, yeah, unbonded, he was like, so I don't think I should swear you know the the script is littered with with f-bombs because that's how those people talk and i said what's the theory and he was like well i think the first time you should hear him swear is is at the end and plot spoiler coming up is when he shoots the guys and that's when he loses it he just becomes sort of you know animalistic and i was like well that makes perfect sense to me so let's do that and then with with tango he said uh, you know i don't want this to be an essex london gangster because you know we're trying to Clearly, from the script, you're trying to avoid that anyway. But, but let, let's have a think about where Donovan comes from. And Vinny's amazing at accents anyway. And and, and he kind of does a little roulette wheel of, of accents. You, if you look at his filmography, it, you know, he plays Irish, then he's American, then he's Scottish, then he's English, then he's Welsh, then he's something else. And it was the turn for Scotland. And uh, <laughs> um, uh, he said about Glasgow and, and, and which was brilliant because it kind of tied into something I'd been trying to put into the script where I was, I was trying to get as many scenes as possible set by water, which obviously really freaked out Sam, our sound guy, but (laughs) there was just something in it and and the original source material that just spoke to me about water. I just wanted as many rivers or or seas or, or or waterfalls or whatever it might be in the film. And Glasgow is obviously known for its docks and, and and the waterfront. So I was kind of like, right well, Brilliant! That works really well, and it and it just suddenly lifted the movie into into a different kind of feel and texture. And and as I say, stopped it just being a you know a bloke walking around going oh, "You're going to die there," and it, it just not that there's anything wrong with the good versions of those films, but um, it 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 just made it different. And, and I thought that's great, and that, that's kind of what Vinny does.
1: Well, he's done a perfect job on the accent because I I was born in Scotland, hence the weird mixed. English, Scottish accent thing that I've got going. So I can usually spot a really dodgy Scottish accent a mile off, but that, that was a perfect one, so yeah. well done, Vincent. But no, I always you sort of mentioned that you looked at him and thought, that's the guy from 300. When I see Vince Regan, I think of the film Hard Men from way, way back, if you've seen that one. Which was, uh I think that was before Lockstock, if I remember rightly enough. Yes, around. yeah. So, yeah, that's that's my uh, sort of ultimate memory of uh, Vincent Regan movies. Awesome. So I was watching uh, TV yesterday morning as well before I went to work for my non-movie day job thing. And there was a guy on there called J.J. Hamlet. Yeah. And then I looked on uh, online later on in the day and there was an article about him and the fact he's gone from Union J. And he's in your movie.
0: It yeah, is. It's his first movie, isn't it's it? It's his first yes.
1: movie. Do you think, I mean, do you, he you think this he's...
2: Before, he shot this before Foot Soldier 3, which he's in briefly. Um, yep. uh, but yeah, this was his first, first time on set, so he was, um, he was very nervous, but, but t- certainly rose to the challenge.
1: I was going to ask, actually, with his first, you know, it's, he's moving from one thing to another, both creative music and then film, but was he... Super nervous. I would think there would be something wrong if he wasn't. I think anybody doing something different would it's hopefully like, be nervous. I mean, it, it's like someone
2: asked me the other day about Al Snow and and about suddenly acting. And it, essentially, all those j- entertainers, there is an element of performance and, and acting in it anyway. You know, when he goes on stage in front of hundred thousand screaming girls, there is sort of a certain persona that he's he's climbing into there, and and so. He wasn't totally scared that it was like, oh my god, this is going to be a nightmare. He was more it was funny. It was more he was more in awe because he was, suddenly walked on and there's Vincent Reagan and there's Dr. Milton and there's you know a huge crew and there's this that and the other. And it, it was more about that, like oh my god, you know what? Because most people don't really know what what a, you know. If a scene with two people sat at a table, they don't appreciate it was a hundred people behind the camera making it happen. Yeah. So yeah. that is probably daunting rather than scary. But no, very quickly he, he, he settled in and what I loved actually what JJ did was he just sat with uh, all the actors including some, you know, the older boys that we've got like Nicky Henson and just listened to their stories and said, what you know, how how should I play it like this and how how do you normally do it when you, you're acting scared or what? and he just soaked it up. Mm-hmm. It was like some drama school for him uh, and you get a lot of people walking on set for the first time and they're, they're acting a bit Mr. Big Boots or whatever and they don't, they don't listen. They don't watch and learn, uh, but JJ did, and, and so that will stand him in good
0: stead. Yeah, took, I think he took like a fish to water, really, didn't mm. he? And I mean, we're actually working with him again quite soon as well. So he's uh, going to play a lead in a short film that we're doing about Alzheimer's called Ethel. So yeah, really exciting times.
1: Nice. I will be keeping an eye on JJ, not in a stalkery way because that's kind of <laughs> weird, but just sort of the media thing because it does. It me when someone goes from one thing to another, and I like watching people's careers progress. Um, you know, I think I've been sort of immersed in British films probably for about seven or eight years now. I think it was it was three films that made me think I need to start doing podcasts and a bit more publicity for UK films. It was the the first rise of the you know white collar hooligan uh deviation and a film called hard-boiled sweets that all came out around a similar time yeah and then i'm like i watched them all in a short succession of time and then thought these are amazing why why don't i know anybody who actually talks about these films i need to tell people to watch these films and then i've been sort of you know social media stalking you guys for years and <laughs> retweeting everybody's work and stuff like that so well you deserve uh, it
0: thank you yeah
1: no, no thank you I get the easy bit I, I spend two hours watching a film and then type about it you you're putting years and money into films, so you get a hard part I just get the easy bit yeah
0: but, but without people like yourself um the publicity wouldn't be as as big as it is on these movies so we have a lot to be grateful for thank
1: you you you, you keep making them I'll keep talking about them
0: yeah <laughs> deal I
2: mean it's interesting about the, the publicity and the marketing of, of films because there's a certain irony to it that uh you know, a Marvel movie in the UK, for instance, will have a marketing budget of probably three million pounds. And that's why there's posters on buses, on tubes, on billboards, etc., and, and trailers are endlessly playing on television. But the irony is they don't need marketing or publicity because everyone knows yeah. <laughs> the new Black Panther movie is coming out. Um, whereas at sort of the other end of the scale, it, it, it is the smaller films, not just British necessarily, but some of the American indies that, that – need that kind of push so people go oh my god it's that bloke from that thing and I really want to see that, that looks really funny and they're the films that deserve and need that kind of marketing spend but of course they don't have it so the, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit top heavy
1: well, I remember when the Danny Boyle film Steve Jobs came out. and it came out on the Friday of, of whatever month and year it was, and I went to the cinema on the Wednesday, I think, just after that week. And I said, eh, "Steve Jobs not on? No, no, it's not on anymore." I'm like, what do you mean not on anymore? It's like four days ago it came out, and they just it just came and went within you know very short space of time, which upset me. It,
2: was, it wasn't because they were doing an Apple update then.
1: It could have been. <laughs> I think they were installing the latest U2 album on the uh, on the screen. <laughs> so you never know.
2: But they, well, they, yeah, that you know, you got a movie star in Michael Fassbender, you have got an amazing director in Danny Boyle, you got a fascinating story and and a brilliant film. And but yep. but yeah, it just disappears because no one's really sure it was out. It's it's weird. It's
1: crazy. And there's a friend of mine who, for some reason, he hates Apple products. He doesn't own one. He hates them for some reason. He's just I don't know. It must be allergic to them or something. And I'd mentioned that I'd watched Steve Jobs, and he went, I don't want to watch it. I hate Apple. So I'm like, okay. So I sat him down a couple of weeks after that, put the film on, and it's now one of his favourite films of all time. So it's things... And I sort of immerse him in a lot of the British films. So, you know, if I tell him it's a good film, he will watch it. I've got to that point now where... If I say it's worth watching, he'll check it out. So, your
0: parameter. That's, that's
1: good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, see, you see, in my head, I've, I've
2: just got the poster of Get Out, in, like your friend strapped to an armchair with his eyes wide
1: open. <laughs> that's exactly what, it is, what Get Out was based on. <laughs> that shot was just, you know, cross between that and a clockwork orange with uh, Malcolm McDowell. His eyes peeled open and a gun to his head, so I might need to, uh, I'll give you that M16 back. <laughs> <laughs> So um, yeah so let, I want to talk three wise monkeys where did the name I mean you've mentioned us three people so I'm guessing that's where the three comes in but let's talk about how three wise monkeys came together
2: Well we we worked together on two films on the old way series so uh kill and steal and we were sort of getting to a place where uh it, it felt like we were well we'll definitely sort of running the show and making the films um so we kind of thought, well, you know, why not go that next step? Because starting a production company and, and actually choosing your own projects and being in charge of how they develop and where they go is is kind of the ultimate goal, I think, for most filmmakers. Um, and and it, it, the timing just felt right. We'd just done these two films that were, you know, well received and uh, and we enjoyed working together very well and, and complemented each other, I think, is, is the, the key to it. Um we just knew how each other was going to think and feel, and and for a director to find a producer uh, like Trish that, that kind of gets it and isn't fighting you every step of the way, and, and kind of goes, well, let's be honest, you know, if you want that, we'll have to lose this, and just having those honest conversations, that, you know, it's not like one in a million, but but when you do find that person, it, it, you kind of go, well, right, well, let's let's stick together and let let's let's move forward on this. So that's kind of how the genesis of the of the company was um and then just the timing was obviously brilliant because um i think about two three months later tango one got offered to me and then it was like okay right well uh, we're here as a production company so we can run the shoot for you because universal uk obviously don't have that arm so it's it's kind of it 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 just was meant to be clearly Um, and then, as for the name, uh, we bandied around many. It wasn't mm. it wasn't the first choice. And amusingly, unbeknownst <laughs> to these guys, I actually have a tattoo of three wise monkeys on my arm, and they didn't know this. So I just one night I posited three wise monkeys, and they went, "Oh, that's brilliant! Let's okay, that works. That's perfect. That's perfect." And then uh, we're on a shoot up in uh, Nottingham, <laughs> Nottingham yeah. in the autumn, and. I got asked much the same question uh, why three wise monkeys and blah, blah, blah. And we're out for dinner with our production team and, and Trish had just popped to the toilet and I said well look you know this is why we called it that but I, we all agreed to have a tattoo done and I showed them my arm and said you know that th- this was going to be kind of our brotherhood and, and so we all agreed to have a three wise monkeys tattoo and then Trish bottled it and she never got one oh. so then Trish sits back down at the table and everyone's looking at her with daggers <laughs> How do you, Trish?
1: Yes. <laughs> I can't
2: remember when the news broke. Maybe it was when I went to the toilet.
0: I know. I think it was like a couple of weeks later. I was say, like the story came out. It's like, oh, so how, why did you back out? Why didn't you get it? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they obviously <laughs> told me that you know, well, Sasha's got a tattoo, and it feels like you let him down. You know, you let the team down. <laughs> like guys Sasha is the biggest prankster that you'll ever ever meet just you cannot trust a word he says outside of obviously filming stuff because he's just a joker so um so yeah so that story kind of went on and you know yeah (laughs) but but yeah it was funny and um Marina actually designed the logo didn't she so Sasha's wife who's an amazing author um Everyone actually should buy her book, shouldn't they? Yes. Is Down out by now. Stags
2: and Crimson and Bone is out
0: now. Yeah, um, and she uh, used to work in advertising. Was
2: it uh, visual? Yeah, yeah visual, visual effects, but advertising. And um, she used to do talking of you two. She did um, the Elevation tour for them. All the back, all the visuals on the um, on the backdrop. Oh
0: wow! Yep.
2: Um, and uh, the Rolling Stone, She did Forty Licks tour. So she she has a. a had a strong background in visual effects so yes yeah, she, so she designed our little logo um which you haven't seen go online it's it's rather fun um so that's yeah that's that's kind of how it came to be
1: nice so trish you're gonna to have to get revenge on sasha for that then aren't you at some point in the future for this yeah. tattoo incident
0: yeah it's gonna be a long hour for the time, <laughs> i think so yeah i'll get thinking but i'll get i'll get my own back somewhere somewhere down the line <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Thanks
2: very much, I appreciate
1: that Yeah, you're welcome <laughs> But now you've got to think of revenge for when Trish gets you back So it's it's a never-ended circle
2: Well, I'm, I'm kind of really? thinking I'll, I'll just carry on the way I am And just endlessly prank anyway
1: <laughs> Good So what projects have seen that Three Wise Monkeys have got productions in various stages? One of them looks rather chilly, I might add <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what can you tell me about those?
0: So, last poll is, I'm guessing, the one you're talking
1: about?
0: Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, last poll is us um, basically following an explorer and his ice warriors, so everyday people that he's training to be, sort of ice warriors, um, to the center of the Arctic Ocean, which is called the Pole of Inaccessibility. So, no one's ever been there before, he will be the first with his team, Um he's Tried to do it, I think, for 16 years now, and had two failed solo attempts, um, and and yeah, we're going to be working with uh, the likes of NASA, the snow and ice data people, um, and and trying to get to yeah the centre of the Arctic Ocean.
1: Wow. It is one of those wow projects, isn't it? You, you it know.
0: is, yeah. I mean, we we went to Svalbard a year ago, actually, just for, I think it was 10 days, just to test cameras with TRE, our DOP on that one, and um, you know, minus 27 sort of centigrade conditions. And it was amazing. I think just being in that environment in Svalbard, just changed us already so you know going out onto the ice when we do go next year hopefully to um to last pole, will will no doubt change our lives forever mm. um it was it was just amazing to be in that sort of calm environment all these amazing views around us
2: there's it, no sound that's what's the really yeah, weird thing just not the, very
0: many colors
2: just total silence which which on reflection kind of sort of made you really sort of think about things much more deeper because you didn't have distractions. And and we were only there for, I think, 10 days, and we we came back, like, a bit different. And there's no green up there. So as soon as you see green, your eyes start hurting and your brain's going, cannot compute. I don't know what this colour is. And eventually it all starts coming back to you and London life takes over again. But, um, yeah, there is... It's very zen, I'd say, the experience that you have up there.
1: I suppose it's the same as maybe going into outer space or something, isn't it? You hear tales of astronauts that go up there and come back and their their whole reflection on life is very different from what it was before they went.
2: Completely, yeah. I mean, obviously there you're looking down on the rock that we're all stood on and, and uh, it's not quite the same big experience as that, but it certainly is that when you go there and you just see, like, nothing and... And just realise how insignificant we are, and and how ridiculous sort of a a, ga- a late gas bill is. You know, just yeah. the, the, the the bigness of this world is extraordinary.
1: So when it was uh, when the snow was hammering the UK last week, were you both out in like shorts and t-shirt and something, You know. God, what? This isn't cold. Just pointing at people and going, what is your problem? <laughs> What's the matter with you? <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, I think that the human element of, of that journey as well is so it's not just about someone getting, you know, or a team getting to the a place that no one ever, has ever been to before. It's also how people are going to change, how are people going to manage to do this. And one sort of really strong, I guess, storyline of all of this is that we've got a couple of people on the team that are vegans. Yeah. And, you know... Are they going to break? Is it are, the, are their beliefs so strong? What if a polar bear is attacking? How will they behave? Is it possible to do it? And and all of all of these things are sort of popping up that are just you know something that we really have to think about um and and see how people change in that environment because no doubt people will you know jim's told us stories of vegetarians are the first ones that sometimes steal the the pepperoni or the salami (laughs) and uh because
2: their bodies are absolutely craving something fatty salty and 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 meaty and and so they will wake up in the middle of the night and go through other people's food bags and 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 steal (laughs) the pepperoni or salami it's it's really interesting how the the mind and the body sort of convince you to do something when it really craves it.
1: Which I suppose is that like if it's a choice between your principles and yes. staying alive, staying alive is pretty much going to win, I think. You,
2: you well, yeah. yeah, you would hope so. Yeah, You'd think
1: so I mean, some people that,
2: that we've met and interviewed for this already have been very strong on principle and just saying, "No, I would never do it." Which again, like I say, is, is all part of the story and the journey on this is is seeing how people change. I'm not. I'm not saying they should. suddenly, no. if they if they haven't done for 15 years, but as you say, survival should win through. So, uh, you know, I'm hoping no one dies on this. Obviously, so disclaimer there. <laughs> um, but but yes, it'll be interesting. And and then of course talking to them two months after the expedition and and, and kind of going, how did you feel about that moment if they did sort of suddenly go to carnival?
1: I mean, when you're both working on your 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 narrative features you know your, your sort of fiction stuff i suppose that it, that happens to you as well does not it if somebody says, how are you feeling now whilst you're shooting tango one you will tell them and then if somebody catches up with you maybe two three months going right let's reflect on it that could well be very different couldn't it
0: yeah the minute we finish a shoot and I, i'm sure all filmmakers go through this it is a very unique and weird feeling um i i get in a real state of low for a couple of weeks uh, because suddenly, you know, I guess it's a case of on set. It's Trish, Trish, phone ringing, emails coming out through my ears. And then suddenly it's almost silence until you go into post. So it's, yeah, it's a really strange place to be. And then you've got a similar sort of thing, haven't you?
2: Yeah. So my family say I'm awful um, for 48 hours after we picture her. And to the point now where they, they demand that I go away on my own for two days and stay in a hotel. Which, which sounds a bit extreme. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, uh, someone coined it the other day um for me at, uh, we we're at pinewood actually and they it, it, he's an elder, elder more experienced filmmaker and he said that's your adrenaline crash basically you, you live on adrenaline throughout the shoot because it is so full-on when you're making a film even at, when you know lack of luxury of 90 day shoot and 100 million dollars budget it, it's still pressure and still endless questions people coming up to you all the time asking for things and then suddenly it's over uh, and, and no one's asking it, and, and so there is a bit of psychology that you suddenly feel totally useless and mm. what, what am I what, what, what am I doing here what is the point of this yeah. but the other thing is the chemical reaction the body suddenly stops providing you with that adrenaline rush and, and just switches it off and so you crash and burn but then you bounce back 48 hours later and, and, and then hopefully you have another project to look forward to plus as Trish said the post-production will keep you going
1: well last year I finished shooting a uh, I don't want to call it a film because it's not compared to the films that you guys do, but it was me shooting something, so I'm going to class it as a film for now. And it was all about comic conventions, okay. so I'd I started off using footage I'd shot years ago, meeting various people, and thought I'm just going to turn it into something, and see what it becomes. And then you know, some couple of things went wrong with one of the cameramen men part way through, and I had no ending whatsoever. So I ended up going to San Diego Comic Con and shooting the whole third third act there. Okay. And then probably about a week after I got back from San Diego Comic-Con, th- that hit me then. I'm like, I've done it now. I'm lost. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I, well,
2: and it I, is, it's I, kind of a weird feeling. I have one word for you that will keep you going.
1: Sequel. <laughs> yes. I am pondering it. I've got enough footage that I didn't use. And it was weird. It's like, you know, here I am walking past and the Stan Lee to the left. And the morning before, I'd been chatting to the Walking Dead cast and all this sort of stuff. And then I get back to the UK and put all the footage on on the on the PC and think, right, I'll edit that at some point. Right. Now I've got to go to my day job. You think last week I was walking past Stan Lee for God's sake. Yeah, <laughs> it is right. this sort of weird conflict of lives.
0: It is, but you know, that's what keeps us going, doesn't it? That creative kind yeah. of flow and just needing to tell stories and anyone who goes out there and makes a film and it, and it is, however big or small it is, it's still a film. It's mm-hmm. you know, deserves absolute praise and kudos.
2: Because it is I've always even though I've worked in it for almost 30 years now, it it, it is such a crazy thing to set out to make a film because literally every minute something can go horrifically wrong. Uh,
0: usually does. (laughs) And
2: sometimes does. um, To the point where you wonder how any films ever get finished and released. You know, just the notion of of going to a random place at 5am in the morning and hoping that at least... uh, uh, 99% of your cast and crew turn up and ready to work and then you all play pretend for 12, 13 hours and then everyone goes home and then it all happens again the following day. For for just like that to happen just is, is a bit of a, a miracle. You know, you can work in an office and inevitably someone won't turn up because they're ill or the coffee machine's broken or, oh, the client's cancelled the meeting or, you know, it, everyday life, all that kind of stuff happens all the time. But in films, it's just this extraordinary situation even if things go wrong you still get to the end of the day having hopefully shot everything you're supposed to have shot you just find a path but yeah it's 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 a wonderful industry and and sort of the the magic of it is mainly behind the scenes of just sort of people just getting the job done Mm.
1: so with with tango one's complete the film is out there how Do you do? You pay attention to reviews? Because some filmmakers do, some filmmakers don't. What, what's your own personal view on checking out reviews? Because social media, not specific to Tango One, because the praise has been really good, which is very nice to see. But you know yourself that social media can be very vicious towards films. These people that just, A, I haven't even watched the film, and just jump on the bandwagon. Uh, you see a lot of it with the Marvel and the DC stuff, where they just come out and they just attack a film. So, you know, for your films, do um, you read the reviews? So my wife, because she's an author, so she says
2: if you read the good ones, you have to read the bad ones. Uh, okay. I So she doesn't read any, uh, even though all of hers are universally good, which yeah. is an irony for her. I I always read them religiously, and I, I, I sort of go on all the sites and, you know, are randomly posting reviews because just – yes of course the internet has opened doors to people who now are sort of armchair critics and possibly possibly some of them don't know how a film's made or why a decision has happened or just because there's that actor that you hate it doesn't mean it's a terrible film that you know that actor may well have got the finance for the film in place so there are many things that go on that that can't really be part of the criticism as it were but just sometimes, you know, I'll read something. and Go, actually, that's a really good point. Whether it be from right. a professional critic or or, or just some twelve-year-old in China, and he goes, "Nice, okay, yeah, I, 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 he's absolutely right. I won't make that, I won't make that decision again. And and I'll 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 come up with another solution or what have you.
1: But then yeah, then you have ridiculous ones. So my first movie, Tuesday, which is still available, Stuart. I will be picking it up. Trust me, I'll be looking on Amazon once uh, once I finish this conversation with you. I will be.
2: I got very, you know, as anyone who makes a first movie is, is, is incredibly fortunate for that. Uh, it was shot in sixteen days for 150 grand, but I had just, you know, I've always been very lucky with my cast anyway. But but for your first movie, you know, I had John Sim, Phil Glensler, Ashley Walters, Kevin McNally, and it 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 was just a very uh, uh, lucky and but extraordinary situation that I found myself in that I, I was able to shoot this film. But uh, one of Uh, the reviews I read on the IMDb uh, feedback as it were or whatever it used to be called Um, someone said I think I think Bennett should have waited to raise some more money to make this film and that I you know I don't really know what to do with that criticism (laughs) someone offered me 150 grand to make my first film and I say no I want (laughs) I want a million it's just it's comments like that where you kind of go oh god Someone's actually taking the trouble to write that, and it it, it means nothing. No. Right. It's
1: like, would you like one hundred and fifty thousand to make a film? No, I'm going to hold out. Actually, thanks for the offer, exactly. but I'm going to wait for three hundred. But much appreciated. Bye. No, but don't that, worry. That's,
2: that's just an example of, of sort of a comment from someone that doesn't really understand how a film is made, um, and so I'm not sure that but those kind of reviews are, are useful to anyone. Really, you know, uh, sort of a. a person that was thinking about watching the movie is going to read that and go oh right well okay i won't watch it then and yet it might have been their favorite movie of the year and and so i i think we've got to be careful with this wonderful world of internet reviews Um, but like i say i do read all of them so um be kind everyone
0: (laughs) yeah i think i mean people don't i don't think people have to understand how a film is made but i think if you're going to give criticism of any or praise just be constructive I think, and that should just be how people are in everyday life, you know, just, there's no point slagging something off, or just for the sake of it, tell us why, because then we can build on that, and, and as human beings, we can evolve, <laughs> rather than mm. sort of shut off.
2: And I think there is sometimes uh, an element in those, uh, you know, just to-it-shit uh, reviews, <laughs> yeah. that sometimes they are from people who want to make a movie and they can't or haven't or it's failed or or what have you
0: yeah.
2: and so that professional jealousy again might creep in whereas it shouldn't it should be purely about that 90 minute piece that, that they've just watched on the DVD it shouldn't be a personal thing
1: oh, I agree but uh, I think the one criticism that annoys me that I see quite a few people do is is kind of, and it it isn't a, cr- a critique directed at you, Sasha, but I will use oh, it, you as an example because you're a director. It's yeah. oh, I watched the latest film by Sasha Bennett and I could see what he was trying to do, but he didn't quite manage it. Well, how do you know? <laughs> and I see that a lot and you think, well, what, do you know him? Do you know what he was trying to do? How do you know he didn't manage to do it? And it's that really annoys me because it's like, unless you know the guy or the woman, yeah. how do you know what they were after? It oh, infuriates me, that one.
2: Yeah, so, I mean,
1: again, one would assume
2: that the, the, if you have the ultimate budget of, I don't know, whatever the top end now is, $300 million, and you get to shoot for uh, nine months, and you get reshoots, and you perfect it in the edit. When, if you're looking at that kind of world of filmmaking, then that should mean that every film is absolutely perfect at that budget and schedule level. Whereas, of course, as we know, they're not. Um, likewise, at the bottom end, just you know, if something was shot in 16 days for for a low six-figure number, that doesn't mean it's going to be shit. Uh, You know, there's some gems out there. So, yeah, that kind of, yeah, sort of getting inside the director or filmmaker's head and just assuming that they (laughs) should have done better. (laughs) It's crazy.
1: (laughs) I was having a Twitter debate, I will say, because I tend to tweet quite a lot as you've probably noticed and retweet stuff and I'd put a couple of teasing tweets out about this hotel thing that I'm planning on doing. And in my head, I could see it all, so it's great. But I've not told anybody fully what it's about or how it's going to be shot or anything like that. And I'd put a tweet out and somebody came back and I'd said that I could shoot this thing in three days. Bearing in mind, it's just set in one room with oh, one I've camera and one out. Did you did see that? And he was like, that's, that's impossible. Yeah. You'll yeah. never do it. And I'm thinking, how it's do you
0: exactly know? It was didn't
1: it? It did. I mean, it didn't get sort of argumentative, but it was case of, well you don't know what the story is and you don't know what's in my head so don't be telling me it's impossible so that kind of spurred me on though because somebody dm'd me that night and said don't let that person put you off i'm like it's quite the opposite yeah (laughs) i will shoot that sucker in three days and i'll (laughs) send them a link when it's out type thing is this
2: the film where it's just a guy sleeping
1: well one of them's dead um
2: <laughs> oh, is this is the snuff movie you're telling me about
1: no 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 yes that's the other one no it's, it, it is literally one person in a hotel room with a corpse that's it and i fully believe i could shoot that into i might not be able to shoot in three days but i'm gonna give it a damn good try
0: yeah well you, absolutely go you can it,
2: shoot yeah. a movie in in a morning if you want to it's just all yeah. one taken live you know so but what you've got to do is always with budget and schedule and whatever you've got to hand is is use them to your advantage and just look at the strengths and, and rather than the weaknesses. Just mm. if you're shooting it in three days, how can you turn that around as, as a positive and, 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 and fuel it into making the film as good as it can be?
0: Yeah. And as, as long as everyone's treated well on set, actors, crew, yeah. all of that, and everyone's on board, then, then great. I mean, that's what you need, right?
1: Because I think they came out with well, how many camera setups you're going to be able to do? I'm thinking no, not that not too many of them. Or oh, they'd only be able to do something like 70 pages of dialogue, and like, there's not 70 pages of dialogue in it. So it was just it was a very funny sort of Twitter you, you could, conversation.
2: You could have three hidden cameras locked off, and you exactly. just cut between. You know, it, there are many ways around it. But yeah, to
1: sort of already tell you you failed before you have even started. <laughs> but it was a yeah. funny conversation. I know you've worked with Dominic Burns before, Trish. Yes. And yes. I remember when Dominic was planning on shooting the film Cut, and he yep. was like, I'm going to shoot it all in one take. And yep. he said the amount of people that told him it couldn't be done.
0: And he did it. He like, did
1: it, and that film was on my DVD shelf. Yeah,
0: so he, um, it, he, did he did it. He did really well with that, and like kudos to him, because I remember talking to him about that. Um, and, yeah, they rehearsed it like a theatrical production, day after day, for weeks on end. And mm-hmm. I think in the end they did, I might be mistaken, but I think they, they went six or seven times and they eventually got it but yeah i mean and that's what should fuel us on you know these impossible targets potentially because at the end of the day nothing's impossible and we will find a way to do it and if we don't have that that goal then we might as well just all sit back and just not make content because we should be fueling our creativity
1: exactly um just as inspiration have you seen uh the robert Rodriguez section in four rooms i haven't seen that since it first hit vhs so do i need to go back and re-watch that
2: well that's all in one room with the corpse and it's it's a brilliant brilliant set well, it's, the, it's the best bit in the entire four rooms uh, anthology but definitely watch that again because i just I that was sheer perfection what he did with that
1: Watch me go back and watch it, I'm like, damn it, that's the story I was going to write. <laughs> <laughs> it just somehow stuck in my head and I'd forgotten.
0: Plagiarising a film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah it's I like, damn it, I didn't realise. <laughs> yeah. So we'll sort of bring this round to Tangle One again, with the film being finished. What is each of your if somebody says, Tell me your fondest memory of Tangle One uh, Trish, what would yours be?
0: My fondest
1: memory. When you reflect on it, you know. You know, yeah. you know what okay. instantness brings to mind?
0: I think my big wow moment and which was a fun memory was over shooting that scene on the rooftop next to Tower Bridge. Mm. We literally had our actors and then you had Tower Bridge right directly behind them. I thought that was a really good day and I'd found that location and for me, it was a bit of a wow. We're doing this. We're doing it for yeah. Universal UK. And to
2: the point where, actually, when people watch that scene, they go, "So that was green screen, right?" Yeah,
0: and it because yeah, exactly. is, you is—you
2: can't get that close to Tower Bridge at that height. It's impossible.
0: Yeah,
2: and we're like, no, 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 that's actually real. And they go, "No, no," but also the shards there, and it—it it, it does actually look like something out like a Marvel movie because it's so glisteningy, and 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 you know, we're just it was
0: a beautiful day. Yeah, yeah. it's a beautiful
2: day. We we got we got lucky in that respect. Although it was scheduled brilliantly, I must say. Yeah. um <laughs> But yeah, it's 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 funny people's reactions. They just go, "That place doesn't exist," uh, but it does. But we're not going to tell you where it is.
0: No, <laughs> no. that's our secret location. But yeah, that's probably...
1: yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep it.
0: And also, I think the first day we were on set, we were in that Canary Wharf. It was it's something that's being built, still hasn't been built. You know, two and a half years later. Twenty. But, what twenty years? 20. it's been yeah. there? Oh All right. Yeah, so it's just almost like scaffolding around this tower block without any walls or anything, and that was our first day of shooting, and you'd found that through your contact. And yeah, my
2: uncle is works in construction, and I just said, just a wow moment, not it? Have you got any uh, rooftops or tower blocks we can film in, either Canary Wharf or, or anywhere across London? And he sent me a picture and just said, this is probably a bit too crappy for what you what you need and I was like oh my god I'm in love with it because it was it, the ceiling was dripping there was puddles everywhere was scaffolding
0: something like out of Batman is not it? Well, it yeah, yeah. So,
2: we, in fact in the trailer it is it is the very dark night kind of shot in there it was all silhouette and two guys walking towards each other and it, it was like oh, okay this is brilliant just turn the camera on let's go for this <laughs> um, so yeah I'd say those finding locations like that was was mm. fabulous um, I'd say a favorite <laughs> Favourite moment, which again highlights the we, we're going to do this, was when we went to Southampton for the day. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. And it was already a tough day. We were shooting five scenes, uh, three of which were, were action set pieces with, like, 20 gunmen, commandos, storming a boat, all the rest of it. And we got there to find out that the boat that we'd booked uh, uh, wasn't allowed back into the UK. And, and Southampton, this part of the docks, is shut on a Sunday. So there was... <laughs> There's no boat. And three of the scenes happen on a boat. So that was a bit like, oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, um, we have a wonderful team that are sort of running around trying to help out and find stuff. And Nick, the chap that's helped us out with um, police vehicles and, and helicopters and things like that in the past, he just turned up on set about an hour later and just said, so we've got a boat. <laughs> I was like, what? And they just managed to find phone up someone, you know, where's your dredger? Can we? <laughs> can you get it into Southampton? We need to film on it. And, like, about two hours later it turned up and, and we, sure enough, we were raced on there and started filming. And yeah. I, that, I think, was probably a favourite moment because, obviously, t- to go back down to Southampton with all of those people and shoot again was just going to be an impossibility and, and strain on the budget. So I, I suppose it's more relief rather than the favourite
1: moment.
0: All the stars aligned, thanks, yeah. thanks to Nick.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> yeah. Well done, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> now, sort of a last uh, mini favour for me and for yourselves is the theme song that I have for this podcast has lots of different voices in it. So, basically, when I have a guest on, I will get them to say, for example, "I'm Sasha Bennett, director of Tangle One." And then I will cut that into the theme song. And then the, I think at some point in a few years, the theme song will be like 35 minutes long at this rate. But it, could, could you each do one of those? The movie, by the way. Say again, sorry? Is this your next movie? My next movie is just a long theme song of people just saying their names and job titles and film yeah. titles. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, um, yeah, if you want to go first, Sasha, and then Trish, it, you can it, do it as well. Our name and our job title, simple as yes. that. Yes, uh, oh. pretty much. Yeah, just sort of like an introduction. Are we singing, though? You can do whatever you want. You can sing it. You can sing. You can. Just don't mime. If you mime it, it doesn't quite work on an audio podcast. Just be time. silence.
2: Okay. I'm waiting for action.
1: Action. That's, <laughs> why, is... I'm, that's, what, that's why I'm not a director, because I forget to say action. So I will. Yeah, let's go for it again. Yep, reset your mark. Stand on that chalk line.
2: Action. The, the, the corpse in your film uh, doesn't need direction, so don't worry about that. Good. Here we go then. I'm Sasha Bennett, the director of Tango One.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Uh, oh. oh, action, Trish.
0: <laughs> I'm Trisha Lejic and I'm producer of Tango One. That's not
1: how you say your surname. Now it is, for the end of days on my podcast. So first, I was really excited, Trish, when you sort of mentioned, let's do a podcast, because I've been sort of communicating with the pair of you on Twitter for years. It's nice yeah. to actually have a conversation. And so,
0: yeah, thank so. you so much for having us
1: any time it's a shame we we weren't doing them on the old ways exactly i was aware of your films i was keeping an eye on the production so you know each time you do a new project give me a shout i'm at your disposal and i've just ordered tuesday on dvd so (laughs) what what i'll do when it arrives it should be here tomorrow actually because it's amazon prime is i will i will tweet out a picture to prove i'm not pulling a prank like with the old tattoo thing that you did
2: <laughs> amazing no as a marketing gimmick we've always made sure amazon deliver only on a tuesday
1: well that works that's that's <laughs> fine <laughs> i don't believe you but that's fine i'll be complaining about my amazon prime next day delivery if that was the case exactly so and i'm glad the film's not called friday because i would have to wait till next week yes. <laughs> plus there's already a film called friday so that get really confusing In new york which doesn't work so I shall let you two go and enjoy your weekend. Thank you. Um, and I will tweet you. Is there any particular time you would or date you would like this podcast to go live? And all the films out in the nineteenth, but it's out in digital, so yeah. I can it's put totally it online.
0: You, actually, I don't. Don't think. Yeah. We're...
1: I mean, maybe Monday because
2: then it's. Yeah.
1: That is I don't
0: know when people listen the most. Do you? Do you have those facts and figures?
1: I do have them, and they tend to space it out because a lot of it's it's worldwide, obviously. So you know, people well, from we'll, the states.
0: We'll, we'll, will... You're the professional on this one, so okay. we'll leave it in your capable hands. Well, maybe... do you know what?
1: I'm going to release it on Tuesday because that's, <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. So I will. Uh, I'll get it online on Tuesday, and I will tag you guys in. Thank, Thank you amazing. so much. Really appreciate. All right. it.
0: Have a great so, weekend.
1: <laughs> take care. Enjoy. Thank
0: Cheers. To Bye. Bye. Bye.